Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to talk about this idea of when the unexpected in life happens. I want to talk about this idea of when things don't quite go according to plans, uh, when life hands you bad circumstances. I think we can all attest to this, that we've all gone through that. And, you know, those seasons where we say or we ask questions like, what is going on? And if you weren't here last week, we talked about seasons. Seasons come, seasons go. We're always in transition in different seasons. And that the two things that we do most of the time, rather than just going with that ebb and flow of life, uh, the flow of creation, is what we tend to do is we tend to either stay too long in a season because it's comfortable, or we tend to want to get the heck out of the season because it's really uncomfortable. And, and so we're, we're coming up against adversity, and it's unfamiliar, and it's not fun. And, and, and so we go, okay, I want to be out of the season. But here's the thing, seasons... As they come, if we stay in those seasons, knowing our Heavenly Father's with us, and we work through that adversity, that turmoil, uh, uh, that, that, that hard time, that pain, that suffering, because it happens, right? Now, God's not bringing the pain and suffering. But when it comes, he's there with us. If we hang on to that and move through it with him, we learn things. We learn life lessons that we can take to the next season. So I kind of want to talk about that idea of being in those seasons where you just don't want to be in them and you want to just skip or jump ship and get out of it early. What happens when we face interruptions, obstacles, and moving in slow motion? Let's talk about that this morning. Let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, he's talking here. This is his letter, actually, that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And I love how he starts it out here in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 17. He says, we were only briefly separated from you in person, but never in our hearts. This has caused us to yearn with greater expectancy to see you face to face again. So I want us to get a feel and a flow of the Apostle Paul's heart here. The Apostle Paul saying, I miss you. In fact, have you heard that saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder? I believe Paul was going through this. He's like, the last time I was with you, I'm thinking of the good times and that face-to-face relationship, and it was just so beautiful. I can't wait to see you again. But then he goes on to verse 18 to explain why he hasn't been there yet. He says, on two occasions, I was restrained. Some translations say hindered from coming to you. So he's saying, listen, I really wanted to be there. In fact, my heart is growing more and more expectant of seeing you but we've been restrained and hindered on two occasions. Verse 19, he says, we expect nothing less in the context of the gospel than you enjoying a face-to-face encounter in the immediate presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, this is our delight and wreath of honor. You are a trophy and joy. Now, can you kind of get a feel for the Apostle Paul's heart? He loved the people at Thessalonica. And so we we see here, on one side, we see that he's been separated from them, but in his heart, he has this expectancy of seeing them face to face again. And then the other side, uh, we see him knowing what the gospel does, that it brings you face to face. You have a face to face encounter with God. And so he's expecting that that's what the gospel is doing. But right in the middle, sandwiched in between, he says, on two occasions, I was restrained. 
I was hindered. I was stopped from seeing you. See, even the Apostle Paul experienced seasons of interruptions and obstacles. And so I think we need to see that because I think sometimes we're like, well, yeah, those were the apostles. They were so full of faith and grace and all these things. But if you really read it, they faced hindrances. They faced obstacles. They, they faced things that would, would come in the way and interrupt them in the midst of their ministry and what they were doing, loving people. Now, if you just do a quick look at the word hinder in the Webster's Dictionary, it means to interrupt, to obstruct, to impede, or to prevent from moving forward. Like literally, to stop you short. It goes on to say this. Now listen to this. To create obstacles or to render in slow motion. Now, I love to, you know, film things and I love to edit film and it's kind of a hobby I do and I enjoy doing it. But as soon as I hear this in my mind, I see this idea of rendering in slow motion and I think rendering. Well, rendering in video editing is when you have like a series of, you know, titles, text, transitions, color corrections, these different things. You put them in there, even slow-mo mode. And what happens is the computer has to render that, that specific clip before you can see it. So it has to render it. So as soon as I saw this, I went, oh, that's cool. Render in what? Slow motion. Now, I love slow motion. Look, how many here are aware that you have a slow-mo mode on your, on your phone? Yeah. iPhones do. Does anyone have a Samsung? LG? Slow-mo mode. So what is that? It's like, let's say you're, you're at the lake or the beach, and you say, hey, I'm going to film, and you throw that rock. And when the rock hits, you, know, you can have it so right when it hits the water, it's like, when it comes up, and it's like, whoa, that is awesome. You can see all the droplets and stuff. Are you with me? Slow-mo mode? Have you ever heard of this? Is it just me? But it's so cool because you see things slow down at such a rate that the human eye isn't used to seeing, and it makes it epic. Isn't that so cool? If you've seen any Hollywood uh, movies lately, you'll see this slow-mo thing used quite often in current movies, right? Especially like, have you seen the superhero movies? Now, isn't it cool? Like they're in the middle of a fight scene and that guy, he's getting ready to deliver that right hook and he's coming across. It's like, I mean, full force. And it goes... When it hits the guy's chin, it goes, when you're like, yes, like it just feels like he hit him so good, right? Because what would Jesus do? But he hit him so good. And you see that slow-mo mode and it's like, wow, this is epic. I mean, it's in flyovers. It's in, it's in fight scenes. It's in all this different footage. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a dream where someone, or better yet, something was running after you? And you're running in slow-mo. Not cool, right? Like, you're running, you're like, oh my gosh, like, it's running regular speed. And like, what is going on? Like, I know I can run more than 0.3 miles per hour. What is going on? So you're in this, this slow-mo mode trying to get away. Have you ever had a, well, we just call them nightmares because they're not dreams. It's a nightmare, right? Have you ever had a nightmare where you were in a fight? I have. And if you're like, like you're in this fight and, and all of a sudden you, you do, you go to deliver that right hook and it's like, oh, this is epic. It's slow-mo and you go, ding. And it like barely, the person doesn't move. They're like, what was that? And you're like, oh my gosh, I know I can punch harder than that. These are nightmares, folks. They're not dreams, they're nightmares. It's slow-mo mode. Great for cinematic Hollywood features, right? It makes it so epic. Not so cool for our dreams, or I guess we could say nightmares, but what about real life? I think we all can experience this in real life. Sometimes life can feel like that, can it? Have you ever felt obstacles in your life? Interruptions, 
detours, and you're like, what is going on right now? Have you ever felt as if life was rendered in slow motion? Like you couldn't quite gather your bearings, you couldn't quite, you know, just get a bite on moving and you're spinning your wheels in life? How about this? Have you ever felt like you've been completely stopped? There you are, you're stopped in place. What do I do now? Where do I go now? How do I function in this time? Now, we just looked at the, the definition of hinder in the Webster's, but the word hindered in this Greek, it describes a road that is so deteriorated, it is almost impossible to use, making you find another route. Sounds like Michigan roads, doesn't it? How many have been there this season? Every season that happens, every season, like, what's going on? It's like you've been here your whole life. That's what we do. I like what Pete says, our state flower, is that orange cone? A road that's so deteriorated that we can't even use it and we have to find a completely different route. Interruptions, obstacles, and moving in slow motion. Have you ever gone somewhere, you hit a detour and it's in an unfamiliar place? Now thank God for GPS, maybe. My, my friend and I were in a car last night. Now the GPS didn't help us out too much, I don't think. But, but thank God for GPS. You know, our kids have no clue what a map is. How many know what a map is? Anyone over 40 probably knows. Like, they're, they're bifold or trifold. They open up and you, they physically, like, they have the, the directions on it. You can know where to go. Now, you can't, it doesn't talk to you. What we would have to do is have someone sit as a co-pilot and talk to us and say, oh, you missed the exit. That's what Weiss are good for. You missed the exit again. And then you, then you got to figure out how many miles it is. So then there's like this, this little thing on the side that says, okay, a quarter of an inch equals, I never could get that. I'm like, I don't know. We got a ways to go. The line's this long. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> if all electronics failed to work, people wouldn't know where to go or what to do, would they? <laughs> They're like, what is that? It's a map. What? But how many have been in an unfamiliar place? You hit a detour and you're following the signs, you're following those bright orange signs with the arrows on them, but you're unfamiliar and you're not sure. And so your complete dependence is on these signs. I mean, oh, there's another, okay, we're going to go left, okay, up here, okay, we're going straight, we've got to go right. And so when you're in an unfamiliar place, it's nice to have those road signs, right? Detour ahead and then point you where to go. See, sometimes... We'll hit these detours in life. Our life will be interrupted, something we don't expect. It's not going according to plan. And I really truly believe that the Holy Spirit is there as our bright orange signs with the arrows on them. To say, I know it feels unfamiliar. I know that you're stressing right now about this situation because it's not working out how you thought it would. But I'm here. I think one of the biggest promises that you can stand on in those times is Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And as I was preparing some notes yesterday, I got this little, this little quote, I wanna say it to you today. He's saying, I won't leave you, I'll lead you. It's not about me leaving, it's about me leading. So will you let me lead you? And how many know that's not easy? I have days, sometimes weeks, in the midst of adversity and, and, and trouble where I'm just like, 
I need to figure this out. And so then I try to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it. But I believe that in those points, in those moments, in those dark places and spaces, the Holy Spirit is simply saying this, you're not stopped, you're not defeated, you're just detoured. So follow me, I will lead you the right way in this situation, in this adversity. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, he says, we are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good. We just sang that today and I didn't even know that was on the list. I was telling Kristen this morning, like that is perfect. All things work together for the good of those who what? Love the Lord. Now it's not, it's not a threat. You gotta see this as a problem. Not a threat like, oh, if you're loving God enough, then it'll work out. But if not, no, no. He's saying, if you know my love, if you understand my love, if you're in communion with me, the more that you understand who I am, what I'm about, the more you'll understand who you are, what you're all about, and it will bring even the bad things into good. I remember a message that Dr. Carl had preached several times. Have you heard the message? I don't know if it was titled this, but it was, you're a chocolate chip cookie. Do you remember that? And I think at least once he did the props for it. And so what's in a chocolate chip cookie? Come on, bakers. Flour. Yes, flour, baking soda, chocolate chips, eggs, salt. Okay, so he had all these things up front, and I think he had some of the kids come up and taste test. And now imagine this: someone would go, "Okay, try the chocolate chips." Now, how many sometimes sneak in the cupboard just grab chocolate chips? Like I don't need no cookie with it. I'm just getting some chocolate chips. Am I the only one? I'll tell you a little secret. I actually I don't know where they came from this morning. That's kind of weird. I don't know where they came from, but there was a, some chocolate chips in a little glass bowl, honey. You must have put them there this morning, and I, I actually dropped them in my coffee and melted it down, made my own little mocha. Huh? See? See? I'm doing things, people. I'm doing things. But imagine you, you eat those chocolate chips, and they're so good, right, on their own. Now, what about a tablespoon of flour? Anyone just go, ooh, hope no one's looking because I'm getting me some flour right now. I mean, I mean, can you even swallow flour? You ever tried to swallow cinnamon? You've seen those tests where people are like, you know, it's everywhere. See, these individual components of a chocolate chip cookie on their own, some are pleasant, some aren't. This is our life. Our life has pleasant things. Our life has unpleasant things. But when you mix them all together, it becomes something really good. Can I get a witness? We got a potluck today, folks. That's what church people do. So hopefully we got some chocolate chip cookies. But I was thinking about this, though. When you put all these ingredients together, and my wife is an amazing baker, as you can see. She does awesome stuff, but she'll put it on a pan, but then she has to do something with it. She has to place it into something. How many know what that is? An oven. It's the heat that transforms that raw cookie into the most beautiful thing on the planet warm chocolate chip cookies and thank Mr. Cow for the ice cold milk that goes with it because there's nothing like it. But sometimes in our lives, when pressure comes, when the heat comes, as those things combine, I believe that heat is sometimes what we need and necessary to get ourselves out of a spot into the next place, to allow those things to combine. So remember this, it isn't God doing this to you 
right? He's not hurling evil at you. Stuff just happens. But he's saying, listen, if you love me, if you trust me, if you stay in a relationship, you'll start to see, okay, you know what, Lord? I'm trusting you. You're going to work these things out for my good. It doesn't mean that once I prayed the prayer, everything was perfect and life was peachy. Nope, that's not what happens. But it's trusting him that things will work out. And you know what I found? Sometimes they work out in such a way that good isn't what I thought it was going to be. I was listening to a brother last night. He says, you know, you remember that relationship when somebody left you and it was traumatic? It was devastating. You couldn't imagine life without a person. Why did this happen? But then 10 years later, you look down the road, you're like, thank you, Lord, that I'm not still in that relationship. In other words, when we see things like this, it isn't uncommon for humans to experience detours. It's common for us to experience these things, to experience bumps and bruises, to experience the interruptions and the obstacles and the moving in slow motion. We all have to deal with that. So here's a question. Will you allow an obstacle or detour to become a place to stop or a place to reposition on your journey? And I've been in both spots. I've been in spots where I just wanted to stop. I wanted to give up. I don't want to go any further with this. And the Holy Spirit's like, listen, I'm not leaving you, but I'm leading you. Will you reposition? Will you take a different look? (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, whatever. Honestly, that's what I feel like. And I love that. Love is patient. I love that love is kind. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. Repentance has become kind of a dirty word, you know, repent you filthy heathen. But it's the word metanoia in the Greek, it means to change your mind. And it's through his patience and his love and his kindness that we start to see things differently. We start to say, I trust you. I see your heart for me. And so I choose by an act of my will. This is a big thing. Sometimes you need to speak to yourself. I choose by an act of my will to trust you, to reposition myself on this journey. Do you follow me? Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, he says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Look at this. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Nothing you ever do for the Lord is useless. He says, for this reason, you can afford to be absolutely settled and rock solid in what? Faith's persuasion. Now remember, faith is a gift, right? Faith is a gift we get just like grace, love, salvation. It's a gift. So face persuasion and always ready to go beyond where you would have gone before. He says, your doing now is inspired by your knowing that you are in him. If his resurrection is yours and his victory over sin and death is equally yours. What Paul is saying is, listen, listen, you're in Christ. This is where you are. Nothing you do for the Lord is useless. Don't see it as useless. You're worthy. You're valuable. You have that time, talent, treasure. I've given you these gifts, the good works, the fruit. It's all in there. Let me work it out. The Apostle Paul says to work out your salvation. 
What is salvation? Soteria, sozo. It's, it's healing and health and deliverance and safety and wholeness. It's working that out through your life. Why? So then others can experience salvation through you. I often tell people that Jesus was the incarnation, God in flesh. Do you know you are as well? You know God resides in you? Some people, let's talk. They're like, whoa, 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 man, I don't know. No, no. He said, I reside in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're God in flesh. You're his image bearer. That's, you're not, listen, you're sons and daughters. That's who you are. You bear his image. And I know for some of us, we're like, yeah, but you don't know what I did last night. Doesn't matter. Okay? You might reap some consequences for what you did last night, but it doesn't change his love for you. It doesn't change your status in the family. So awaken to who you really are. If you awaken to who you are, you will act and be different. I'm telling you. And it's not someone who you aren't. You're actually being who you truly are because he's showing you that. It's beautiful. That's what the gospel is all about. So I want to give you three things that we can do in a detour moment this morning. Number one, stop relying on yourself. It's number one for a reason. Because my personality is, okay, if I move this here and I do that, it, just a minute, Holy Spirit, um, if I were to, Man, the Holy Spirit is just bugging me so much. No, no, listen, I've got to figure this out. And the Holy Spirit's saying, I've got it figured out. Will you listen to me? And so number one is stop relying on yourself. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 80, says, We think you ought to know. Now, this is a really interesting way to say this. Hey, hey, listen, hey guys, I was just thinking about this, and I think you need to know something. He says, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Paul, I thought you were a faith guy. Why are you talking about the trouble you went through? Because he wants us to understand something. We're all going to go through trouble at some point in our life. Some seasons aren't perfect. Can I get an amen? amen. Some seasons just don't work out the way we think they should. And so he's saying, I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Listen to this. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. How many, how many have ever felt that way? Right? Paul is saying this to the church in Corinth. And he says, he says, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. I want to know the first person that said, hey, Paul, just have a little more faith. <laughs> Paul was pretty spunky. He might have actually punched him and it wouldn't have been slow-mo. But here's Paul and he's going through this situation. He says, listen, we expected to die. Now, for some of us, we feel like we're going to die, but these guys were, they, they were facing death, like certain death every day. They had to sneak out of cities. They had to be careful. This movement, Rome hated it. Uh, the Jewish establishment hated it, the temple. And they're like, we need to snuff this out. And then he says this, look at this. With all we went through, almost on the edge of certain death, he says, but as a result, say that with me, but as a result, what happened? We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. Uh, by the way, who raises the dead? I love that Paul put that in there. He's reminding us of how powerful God is. But here's the thing. God doesn't force himself into situations. We have to open up. We have to allow and say, God, I want you in this season, in this life, in this place with me right here, right now. And then I thank you for what you're already doing and already working on my behalf. Look at that. 
But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God. The message says it like this. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. And he says, not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. See, there's so many little nuggets in the scripture you can pull out, you know. And what I see here is he's saying, listen, God is powerful enough to raise the dead, so do you trust him? Do you trust his love for you? But not only that, for some of us it seems as if maybe a dream we had has died. I believe that God is the one who can even resurrect that dream. Now, now, now I'm not talking about the American dream. Sometimes there's a difference in that. And I'm not against, you know, desiring and having goals. But I'm talking about kingdom things. Like, God, I really feel like you called me to this and I'm supposed to be in this. And I mean, I did this for what, honey? Almost t- at least 10 years when I knew that I knew that I was called to be a pastor, to be a ministry. For 10 years, I prepared. And there were many times I said, when? W- when is this going to happen? And Kristen would say, when? When is this going to happen? And, and we just weren't quite sure. So we go through that time where we're not quite sure what the next step is, what the next move is. But I had to say, okay, I trust you. It doesn't look like this is ever going to happen, but I trust you. And I had to stop relying on myself. And let me say this. Sometimes this God help comes from people. It comes in the form of people. Some, some of us need to open up and allow people to help us. If someone comes up to you and say, you know what, I just want to help you in this situation. I see something. What's going on? Don't say no. Don't be in pride about it. Say, okay, but maybe, just maybe you are someone's help. Does that make sense? So being open to that, being open to just love and grace and, and, and seeing needs and meeting those needs, that's the way of the kingdom. And so, again, God help comes in the form of people. Yep, God works through people. So number one, what is it? Stop relying on yourself. Number two, face detours with faith. Face detours with faith. Now, let me say something here. Because sometimes this faith thing has been stretched out into some just weird arenas, okay? It's not saying that just try harder, read more scripture verses so you can drum up more faith. Listen, faith is a gift, In fact, I'd like to say it like this. Do you know how you grow your faith with human relationships? You get to know people. I mean, when you get to know people, what happens? They earn your trust. Do you know faith and trust? Same thing. So when we have this relationship with God, we see who he is. We see his love and his grace for us. We see what he's called us to be, the purpose, the plan, those things in our life. When we start to trust him more, that moves that faith. And when detours come, We need to answer it. We need to face it with faith. The opposite of faith is in doubt. What is it? We've said this several times. What's the opposite of faith? Certainty. When you're certain about something, there's no need for faith. But what do we do in those uncertain seasons? Those uncertain places where we're not quite sure what's up, what's down, where's the rails, right? That takes faith. That takes trust to say, I trust you, Heavenly Father. But look at this, even Jesus faced detours and interruptions. In the Gospel of Mark, we see this story where Jesus says to his disciples, hey, listen, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side. So they get in the boat. They're about halfway across the lake, and this big, huge storm swells up. It wells up. I mean, now now listen, do, do you know that many of the disciples were fishermen? They were freaking out, folks. So this wasn't like, oh, it's raining. Where's my umbrella? I mean, this was like, 
a storm. It's major. They think they're going to die. They're in fear. They're in anxiety. They're in worry. And in verse 38 of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, it says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Listen, folks, there's something in here about how we should be in the midst of a storm. We should rest in what he's done for us. But then he goes on to say, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And I don't, I don't think it was just a storm. I think suddenly there was a great calm in the hearts of these disciples because Jesus was in the boat the whole time. But look what Jesus says to them. He says, why are you so full of fear? Do you still have no faith? Now, I've never seen Jesus be condescending to one of his disciples. He might say things clear cut, but he loved people. He restored people. He healed people. He had relationship with people. So I don't see this as a condescending way of like, where's your faith? Come on, guys. Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. He says, why are you so full of fear? Do you still have no faith? Let's look at the ABV version. How many are familiar with the ABV version? ABV, the Andrew Baranczyk version. This is what I was thinking. He was saying, why are you so full of fear, worry, and anxiety in these circumstances, in these obstacles, in these interruptions, in this, this time where we feel, if not slow motion, completely stopped? Why are you so full of fear, worry, and anxiety in these circumstances? Don't you trust your heavenly father? Don't you trust me? I've got your back. Adversity is going to come, but I am here. And there might be bumps, there might be bruises, but I'm here. I can't control people, and some people do crazy things, but I am here to lead you through this season. Yes, what they did was wrong. It hurt you, but I'm going to lead you through this season, and you'll actually be able to turn and go, I forgive you. Come on, people. That takes supernatural power sometimes, doesn't it? To forgive those who offended us because it was wrong. So those storms come. See, the goal was to go to the other side, but a great storm or great detour or obstacle came up, and Jesus showed us the example. What do we do? We face detours with faith. So number one, what do we do? Stop relying on ourselves. Number two, face detours with faith. Number three, last point, see the bigger picture about your life. See the bigger picture about your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, it's one of my faves. Uh, when we were on tour, this was whenever I'd sign a poster or do different things, I always put Jeremiah 29, 11. People go, hey, is that a Bible verse? I'm like, yeah, you should check it out. But I like what it says because it says, for I know the plans I have for you. God's saying, listen, I know the plans that I have for you. I want us to get this. There are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, sometimes we've taken this verse and we're like, yeah, see, my plan in life is to not go through anything. No, God says, my plan for you. Do you see that? My plan is for good, not for disaster. So when disaster, well, this tells me something, when disaster comes, it wasn't God's plan. Right? Drake told us something about that. It's not God's plan, right? Some of you got that. You know, those who listen to secular music, how dare you? 
But God knows the plans he has for you. And so when we go through adversity, we have to realize that's not his plan, but he's right there to lead us back in, to work it back in, to to make beautiful chocolate chip cookies at the end, wherever that is, because he has good plans for you, plans for a future and a hope. So first of all, God is not the author of disaster. Secondly, his plans for you are good. Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is talking here and he says, the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Wow, thank you, Holy Spirit. Appreciate that. I mean, this was the life of Paul, jail and suffering. Isn't that awesome? Like, like that's on his resume. So what, what do you got going on? Uh, jail and suffering. It's really cool. But look at this in verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work, here it is, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Like he's saying, it's all worth it, man. If people can discover the good news, the wonderful grace of God. So what's the bigger picture about your life? It's God's plans. And ultimately, that's to be a living, breathing, walking testimony of what Paul calls the good news about the wonderful grace of God. We're image bearers of God. Did you know that? We bear his image. You know, my kids bear my image, Kristen's image. You know, we could be going somewhere like, oh my gosh, he looks so much like you. Oh my gosh, they look so much like you, Kristen. Our, our kids bear our image, right? So we bear the image of God, love and light to this world. And some of us don't even awaken to that, but we should. And so what are the three things that we need to do? We need to stop relying on ourselves. We need to face detours with faith. And we need to see the bigger picture about our life. Remember this, interruptions obstacles, circumstances, they are not final. There is a divine plan for your life. And it's simply a matter of saying, I receive it. I trust you. I'm in a season that I really want to get out. I want to avoid the pain and the suffering. But Lord, I know this isn't from you because your plans for me are different. They're for good. They're not for disaster, for a future and a hope. So I choose to trust you in this situation that you work all things together for my good. Amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness and your love towards us. I pray this morning that we understood what was being said here, that you are not the author of disaster. You're not the author of evil. You're not trying to teach us lessons. You're actually helping us to learn lessons through that adversity, but you never leave us. You constantly lead us in the way that we should go. And so we thank you for that, that we can depend on you. We can trust you. I pray this morning that every person here who's been struggling in a season, wondering what is next, what is going on, I don't even want to continue, that we would say, I trust you, Heavenly Father, because you know your plans for me, and they're plans for good, not disaster, for a future and a hope. And, and Lord, if, if maybe you need to change some of those desires in our heart. Maybe we, we've relied on the wrong things. We've sought the wrong things. Well, we thank you that through your kindness, it brings us to a change of mind, that we see things differently. We see things your way, because after all, you know what's best. You're our dad. You're our father. 
you're our creator. So today, by an act of our will, we say, we choose to trust you. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.